You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast, everyone. This is Dan Darling. I'm glad to be back with you this week. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to tell you about a really cool resource that we have for free that you can download from my website at danieldarling.com. It's a free downloadable guide called How to Read the News. I don't know about you, but for me, it seems like there's news streaming in to our lives from everywhere on our timelines, what people are sharing on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and every social media thing, talk radio, podcasts, magazines, newspapers, if people still read newspapers. It's just coming in from everywhere, alerts on our phone. How do we read the news as Christians? How do we process the news? How do we make sure we're getting true information? How do we make sure that we're not just reading stuff that confirms our biases, right? I'm a conservative politically. My tendency is going to be to read things that only make and confirm that people who I agree with are good and right people and everyone else is wrong. You may be on the other side of the spectrum. So how do we read and also how do we read from a biblical worldview? Well, if you're interested in this, you can go to my website. You can download it for free. It's called How to Read the News. Give me your email. You can sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter called One Little Word, and we'll send you this a wonderful resource for free. So go to danieldarling.com and download How to Read the News. Okay, let's join our conversation. Welcome back to the Way Home Podcast, my friends. I'm so glad you're joining me today, whether you're on your commute or you're washing dishes like I do uh, every night, and I listen to audiobooks or podcasts or you're doing chores around the house, or just decided to put the Way Home podcast on speaker maybe and have a bunch of folks listen to it. I'm glad you're joining me. I never take for granted that people download the podcast and listen to it. I know it's an investment of your time, and so I'm grateful for you. If you are a fan, uh, I would love for you to go to iTunes and rate and review it to let other people know. Maybe share on social media if you found this particular episode helpful. Well, today we have a great guest lined up, a good friend of mine, my friend Jason Romano. Jason worked for many years at ESPN, and I got to know him several years ago. Funny story real quick. Uh, In 2016, when the Cubs were in the World Series, uh, I had a speaking engagement that took me back to Chicago from Nashville back home. I wasn't able to get World Series tickets because I didn't inherit a small fortune. However, Through my friend Jason, I was able to go to a special live recording or live broadcast, if you will, of Mike and Mike on ESPN. And they were recording live from the Cubby Bear, which is right across from Wrigley Field. So he allowed me to go in. I got to go in early. I got to meet Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick. I got to see Ryan Sandberg and a bunch of uh, former Cubs. It was so much fun. Jason and I have shared a lot of cool moments in the last few years. He worked at ESPN for uh, several years, and now he works for a ministry called Sports Spectrum, which is a great ministry that really kind of features the faith journey and life of professional athletes. has incredible interviews and content. Uh, I've been following that ministry for much of my life. Jason has a unique story as well, uh, and he has a new book called The Uniform of Leadership, where he talks about the various people 
who influenced him and, and helped him behind the scenes while he was working at ESPN. Some you might know, like people like Tony Dungy and others who have been really vocal and consistent in their faith in the public square. But some you may not know, like people behind the scenes that encouraged Jason to live out his faith in a mostly secular environment and what that looks like. Even if you're not a sports fan like me, even if you don't really care about ESPN, this conversation will help you think through what it looks like to be a faithful person working Monday through Friday in a place that's not explicitly Christian. I know for for many of you, that's your situation. Well, Jason has a lot of good tips on that and a lot of good tips on being a witness and a light to the people around you. So let's tune in right now to our conversation with Jason Romano. I'm glad to have my good friend Jason Romano. I think back on the podcast because I had you on here before a while back when I was at ERLC yeah, and a while ago, a couple yeah, of years ago, I, I think. did. Yeah, and glad to have you back on, Jason, who formerly worked at ESPN, worked for Mike and Mike. Just moment of silence, R.I.P. for Mike and Mike. Great, that great show. Yeah, absolutely. And also the friend who got me into the Cubby Bear with a, a Cubs celebration. Uh, live broad, remote broad, broadcast of Mike and Mike across from Wrigley Field during the when the Cubs were in the World Series. And A-Rod, A-Rod was, was there. there That's right. And I think Al Leiter That's was right. there. A-Rod yeah. was there. And I remember thinking, A-Rod's taller than I thought. And I remember thinking, dude, <laughs> that guy's like jacked in terms of like he's in shape. He was in shape. And it's funny about A-Rod. That was when he first started doing broadcasting uh-huh. for Fox. People said, because remember, he had like done a lot of quote unquote damage PR damage yeah. to his reputation with being suspended for a year. So he goes into his broadcasting career and he, he crushes it. it. He was yeah. so good at Fox and everybody was like, Oh, we like that a rod better than we like the baseball playing a rod. And he got in so many people's good graces. And he was really nice that day. I remember taking a picture of him and Golick and he said, here's my email, email me the picture. And it was his email. It was like a rod yeah, yeah. at something, something, whatever it was. I'm not going to give it away here or whatever, but yeah. it was like directly to him. And I'm like, Oh, I have a direct to pipeline. To, I know, no idea if he actually checked the email or not, but he gave it yeah, to me. He, so. he, he crushed. I like him on the broadcast and I, I like going in. I, I, I didn't know if he would be good or not, but that's pretty cool. So see, I like him better as studio. Oh, does, way oh, does he? Yeah. The, the studio he's better than play by play. The color, you know, color yeah, I'm guys. Not a big fan of, of his game. Look, color, there's a certain skill, and you either have it or yep. you don't. Booger McFarlane, wonderful human being, probably mm-hmm. doesn't really have it. Obviously, Monday Night Football, but a great studio guy, a great Booger's studio great guy. But the then, studio. like Tony Romo, who knew he'd be a he'd be brilliant. He's amazing, unbelievable. Um, yeah, Aikman's he's awesome. good. Uh, I like Collinsworth, and I'm. I miss this year that there's no Collinsworth slide. Have you missed the Collinsworth slide? I do. I'm actually trying to do it for you on Zoom, and it isn't even remotely close to how good it was. I am missing it, but COVID's, COVID's put it a damper on everything, including the Collinsworth slide. What's it's going really on? a sad thing. So I had you on here to talk about a number of things. You have a great new book out called The Uniform of Leadership, and uh, really what you have learned about leadership, kind of behind the scenes of people that you have observed up close in your your career and your ministry and 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 just in life a lot of behind the scenes stuff about espn you know working at espn for 
Uh, how long did you work at ESPN? 17, 17 years. Almost, 17 years. So I just want to dive right in. Number one, the biggest misconception that people have about ESPN are working there. <laughs> I'm not going to get political mm-hmm. here, uh, but I will say that the biggest misconception that I, a lot of people would say to me, because I would always say when I was working at ESPN my last full year, in fact, when you and I met in person, it was right before the election, if you remember. And so there were a lot of people thinking that ESPN was this left wing, sort of liberal organization. Uh, but I knew a lot of Christians. I knew a lot of people who were on all sides. Some of the people that you would see on television who were sort of everywhere and anywhere as far as beliefs. And, and I never had any issue with people having any issue with me because of the other, or mm-hmm. I was a Christian or, you know, openly living out my faith. So I think the misconception, if it is, or the perception was that they were either left leaning or whatever you want to call it that. But I never felt that way. I, I mean, politics were kind of inserted into the conversation starting in 2016, unfortunately. But for the most part, I thought they were they were just there to really try to, I think the, the mission statement was to reach the sports fan anywhere, anyplace, anytime. And, to, you know, that was in giant letters in the big building that you walk in, the very first place you see at ESPN. So I think their mission was always just to serve the sports fan at any place, at any time. Like in 17 years, I felt like this is sports. Like this is what we're here for. This is the great uniter. It wasn't a divider. And I think outside looking in, certainly some ESPNers and former ESPNers may have shared some opinions or thoughts on social media and people automatically assume the company was that way. I don't feel like it was, at least in my experience. Yeah. Well, that that's good to hear. And, you know, I, I think of some solid believers that I know that have been at ESPN or worked there, you know, Tony Dungy, uh, obviously behind the scenes. I, I just have always loved Tony. He's to me, like, you know, an example of leadership, obviously he's at NBC right now, but you probably got to know him a little bit. And then others, you know, like, uh, Ed Werder and Chris Mortensen, obviously strong Christians, you know, so Trent Dilfer, Trent Dilfer uh, yeah. Hassle, Hasselbeck, both Hasselbecks. Yeah. There's actually a lot more people uh, I mean, we we literally could go down yeah. the list that are believers than you would think. Number one, number two, there were a lot of Christians, Dan, uh, that I didn't know were Christians because of you know the, you're conducive to the environment. Right. You're not walking around, right. you know, preaching or anything like that. Who came out and, and when I left and and just DM'd me and said, "Listen, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk during my you know our time together at ESPN, but I love what you're doing or whatever because I was going into ministry." And I found out later that there were a lot more believers than I even knew about. I knew a good handful, some of that are on air, like you mentioned a few of those names, but a lot of, a lot of people, women and men off the air who, who loved Christ. And, uh, that was pretty cool to see, even if it wasn't people that I knew, I wished I had those conversations when I was still working there, but it was pretty cool to see that there is a lot of people who worked at ESPN or really this is probably a reflection of most secular large organizations that there's believers in these places and uh, you know, they're trying to do the best they can for the Lord. Yeah. I, I, that's, I think a misconception about like, you know, I, you know, I think like a lot of media organizations, people might say ESPN might lean a certain way politically overall, but I think there's a perception too that, you know, to work in a media environment, you know, it's, it, they're hostile to Christians and all that. And then, and then when you find, for me at least, there's a lot of faithful Christians doing really good work at places like ESPN, which, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, there are. So tell me some of the things you learn about leadership 
you know, why, why did you choose to write about leadership? Uh, it, it, you know, it seems like sports is just a great arena to develop leadership skills and to demonstrate leadership. I've always felt that way. But, but why did you choose to focus on that? Well, I've been reading a lot. I think before I ever explored a book on leadership, that's kind of been my, my MO when it came to reading over the past, say, seven years. Uh, maybe even longer than that. I remember reading a book called Lead for God's Sake by a guy named Todd Gongwar. It came out, I think, in 2010, and I read it on a plane ride, literally in three hours, which I very rarely read like that quickly. Uh, I'm usually the, that take-your-time guy that takes a few months for me to get through a book. And I read Todd's book, Lead for God's Sake, and again, 10 years ago, I remember where I was going, too. I was going to the Super Bowl in, in uh, Dallas, a really cold, snowy Super Bowl week, which was so bizarre in Fort Worth, Texas. But I read this book and I'm like, wow, this is an incredible book on serving. And it's a it's a sort of a fable being told from a perspective of a coach and how this janitor in a high school is ends up being sort of the Yoda for this coach and showing him that it's not about you. It's about others and serving others. Take yourself out of the equation. And so that really kind of piqued my interest. And I started like reading more leadership books. And certainly Maxwell is the great leadership book writer, you know, probably of our time. But then he, I came across a guy named John Gordon, who happened to write the forward to my book. And John has written books for years, and he's a Christian as well. And, and most of his early books, more recently, a lot of these aren't, most of his early books were fables very similar to that book I just described from Todd Gangwar. And I came across a book called The Carpenter which I read probably five years ago, maybe four years ago, was when, I was, when I was still at ESPN. And again, that idea of loving and serving and caring came across you know, these pages to me. And I thought, wow, I just love the idea of replicating Jesus as leaders in whatever place we're in whatever sphere that we're placed in. And that leadership replication is to love and serve and care, right? And so as I started thinking about a book, and I knew I wanted to write a second book on ESPN because it's the most common question I get. In fact, when we and I, you and I met, right? We asked, it's just general, what's it like to work at ESPN? Yeah. Who are some of the famous people that you got to hang out with? What were some of the experiences like? So I, I knew that I wanted to kind of share some of those. I never wanted it to be a tell-all book or any kind of negative look at a place like ESPN when it's easy to do that. Cause obviously every large organization has its skeletons that, you know, people can bring out if they want to, but that's not my goal. That's not who I am. But I knew that I had a lot of really fun and, and entertaining and neat experiences working there. I said, let's tell those stories. But then as we put the book together and we had already put the book proposal together, the first draft, and then the idea to really make this into a full-form leadership book came from the publisher. They came back and were like, listen, you got a ton of experiences, a ton of stories here. What about this idea of putting on the uniform of leadership? And so we went back and we kind of redid the entire book. And it ended up being lessons, leadership lessons, that I learned from the different experiences I had at ESPN. A lot of experiences with famous people, athletes, and entertainers. Those stories are in the book. But then there's the people that you and I know aren't famous, the people behind the scenes, people like, you know, Tammy, who worked in the cafeteria, who is one of the great leaders I ever saw. And she was the person that took your order and, you know, took, you know, paid for you, paid for your food in the cafeteria by coming across Tammy. So 
I wanted to be able to highlight and, and include some people that you didn't know as well. And I think that's what makes it more of an of a realistic read for a lot of people trying to get better in leadership because not everybody got to hang out with Drew Brees and Tony Dungy and these famous people, but everybody has a Tammy in their life that they come across who can either really uh, make their day worse or can brighten up their day every day like Tammy did with us at ESPN. So that's kind of the book and why I, why I went the leadership route. So you have a you have a lot of stories in here that are really cool. Going back to Tony Dungy, you you have some uh, some stories in here about Tony. Tell me about some of your interactions with him. Yeah, so Coach Dungy, as I like to call him, because when I, when a coach comes to ESPN, Dan, by the way, all of us are sort of wired to call them coach, yeah. even if they're not coaching at the time. It's a sign it's of respect. Sort of a sign of respect, just like a pastor might walk in and you call him a pastor or whatever. So Coach Dungy comes through, and uh, he has his assistant Jessica. He's got his publicist Todd, and he's got his co-author or ghostwriter, whatever you want to call him, Nathan Whitaker. And they're all great people, all Christians. And I was really excited to bring Coach Dungy to Bristol. He had a new book out called The Mentor Leader. Which I read, which is fantastic. Unbelievable. Great book. And all of, all of Dungy's books that I've read mm-hmm. are really, really well done. And in 2010, Coach Dungy comes to ESPN, and I'm the one sort of assigned to him. You know, I set up his schedule. Uh, I'm the one that's going to show him and take him around from show to show. We call that the ESPN car wash, Dan. And so Dungy's coming for the ESPN car wash and he does Mike and Mike in the morning. And right when he's finished with Mike and Mike, we end up in our green room, which is just a you know, side office area where we shut the door and nobody bothers us. But we call it the green room. And he knows that I'm a Christian because Jessica and Todd and, and uh, Nathan tell him that. And so he's the first question he asked me, and I, first of all, I thought it was very fascinating to me that Coach Dungy would take an interest in me. Like, I'm just some producer dude, right? He could have easily just said, where are we going next, Jason? And I'll be like, hey, we're going to do Sports Center. Okay, thanks. But he stopped and he said, Jason, tell me about yourself. Tell me who you are. And so I told him, and then he asked me the question, Dan, that changes my life forever because I'd never been asked it before. He says, Jason, I know you're a Christian. I love that you're a Christian. This is so cool. How do you live your faith out in the workplace here at ESPN? What's that look like for you? And it caught me off guard, Dan. I mean, I didn't even know how to answer because I'd never been asked that question. And up to that point, yes, I would call myself a follower of Christ, but I never looked at it as being a follower of Christ everywhere I went. I kind of looked at it as ESPN was sort of ESPN. Being a Christian was like church on Sunday, Bible study, middle of the week, and, you know, time with the Lord on your own. And so coach asked me this question and I was kind of, you know, caught off guard. I didn't even know how to answer it. In fact, my answer was simply, coach, I don't know if I can be a Christian and work at ESPN and live out my faith here. I said, I probably have to leave or go work for a sports ministry or another ministry like Athletes in Action or Fellowship of Christian Athletes or something like that. Jessica, his assistant, before Coach Dungy can even respond, and I could sense that Coach Dungy wanted to respond. He was ready. Jessica jumped right in front. And because Jessica and I had had a previous um, relationship as far as working and, you know, booking other guests, she knew me and she stops and she just steps right in front of me, puts her hands on her hips and says, Jason, you don't get it. (laughs) What? I said, wow, that's kind of bold. And she's like, you don't get it. Look where you work. Look where you are. Look at the place that is ESPN, 4,000 employees here in Bristol, Connecticut. This is an amazing place to live out your faith. And it doesn't mean you have to walk around with a 
you know, cross on your shirt and a Bible in your hand every day, but you can impact people right where you are. And she goes, until God calls you away someday, and he might call you away, you are to bloom where you're planted, which is the second title, second chapter title in the book in the story of Tony Dungy, because blooming where you're planted, I'd never heard that phrase before really, or thought about it, but it's perfect. It makes perfect sense. Bloom where you're planted. This is where God called you. And if he called you to ESPN or he called you to NRB or wherever you're being called to or sports spectrum where I am now, like that's where God has you. So be a light right where you are. And it just made sense. And I tell people, Dan, that that day at that moment, I went from being an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian to being a Christian who happened to be an ESPN producer. And the order is important here because after Coach Dungy's question, after Jessica's answer, I realized I'm a Christian everywhere I go. So when I go to ESPN, I'm still a Christian who happens to work at ESPN. For many years, ESPN, as I tell people, was sort of a mini God for me or a big God for me. And it became sort of who I was identified as. And I happen to be a Christian, you know, but I was an ESPN producer in many ways first. Well, that order changed after that day. And I went to work every day. Of course, I failed on many occasions, but understanding that my purpose today was to be a follower of Christ and a light and a, an example of who Jesus was in whatever way I did. So if that meant inviting Dan Darling to come out to the Cubby Bear to hang out with Mike and Mike in 2016, well, that was my way of being a Christian because I was like, all right, I can give and serve other people before I'm serving myself. And so whatever that example was or whatever that opportunity was, it just changed my my focus. It changed who I was who I was going to work for every day. Not Jason, but for God. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have a couple of things. I noticed you got endorse endorsement by Bob Lee, who's one of the kind of godfathers of ESPN. I've always liked Bob Lee. Great guy. Tell me about him. And then I'm going to ask you about, you've got stories in there about like The Rock. So, I mean, I, I would be not doing my duty as a podcast host, but I didn't ask you about your interactions with Dwayne Johnson. I will tell you the Dwayne Johnson story in a second, but you asked about Bob first. Now, Bob, the very first job I had on ESPN's television side in 2004, uh, I, I had applied for a job about six months earlier to work as a talent booker on Outside the Lines with Bob Lee. That was his show. And I didn't get it. And I was down to the final two. It was me and one other person and that other person got it. And I was kind of bummed. You know, I was looking for a change from the radio side. Well, five or six months in, that person who got the job in front of me left to go work for a company out in California or something. So immediately that job opened back up and they called and said, are you still interested? And I'm like, yeah, I think I am. And so I went and interviewed again and I got the job. So my first job on the television side after leaving ESPN radio was with Bob Lee. And so I walk in and I see Bob Lee and that's like the legend. They called him the general, mm. right? Bob Lee, the general. And, and you walk in and you understand that you're walking around. I mean, at least I felt this way that you were working with, uh, with royalty, ESPN royalty. Yeah. Like this is a guy who started from day three at ESPN in its inception in September of 1979 and was still here in 2004. At that point, this guy has seen it all, has watched this company go from this little tiny ESPN company to this monster, you know, powerhouse owned by Disney. And I get to work with him every single day. And he, by the way, is so professional. 
so good at what he does, if not the best, one of the best interviewers ever at ESPN. I still think about Bob when he interviews people, when I'm interviewing someone on my podcast, just in the way that he went about it, his mannerisms, the question he asked, the listening he did in following up. But the leadership lesson from the great Bob Lee was that he was inclusive. And I know that's like a buzzword in, in you know, businesses now, but it was very easy for Bob Lee to say, this is my show, I'm running the ship here. But he didn't do that. He, he yielded to his producers. He trusted the team that was around him. There's seven or eight or nine people that worked on the show, including myself. And he wanted to know everybody's thoughts. He wanted to know everybody's you know opinions. He wanted to hear their ideas. And if somebody had a good idea, it didn't matter who it was. Bob was like, let's just do that. And to me, I was that showed me how you can lead by not just making it about yourself all the time. And Bob did that. And he was so good. I mean, he was just the best. And honestly, I think that's why that show was so good. It's because everybody in that room not only came with ideas, but everybody in that room said, you know what? Bob believes in me. I'm going to bat for this dude. I'm going to put my best effort out because I want to make him look good, too, because he is the front facing, you know, person that you see whenever you watch that show. So I love Bob. We stayed in touch and stayed friends even after I left outside the lines, even though I was still working at ESPN. And when I left, he was one of the people that I thanked publicly. And uh, and he has sent me numerous notes on occasion, at least three or four since I left, just saying how impressed he was and how much he cared and loved me and, and just appreciated me uh, you know, for who I am as a follower of Christ, not just for who I am as a producer or whatever. And so I had to ask him, I said, can you endorse the book? And he said, yes. So it was very cool. That's cool. Before we continue our conversation, I want to just encourage you to uh, check out our friends at Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling has generously sponsored this episode of the Way Home Podcast. And one of the reasons I was excited to partner with them is because I believe so much in the value of good biblical counseling. In the last few years, I've really noticed the importance of counseling, both as a pastor who has to care for people at times, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. There's just times when all of us need to sit down and talk with someone who is skilled at kind of peeling back through the layers of our lives, both the spiritual and the physical and the places where we need clinical diagnosis and we need a a, a biblical word from God. And sometimes those are, are kind of marbled in together in complex ways that We can't totally understand that someone outside of us can help us do that. I believe this is a really important thing. A lot of times we're afraid to go to counseling. There's a stigma that I don't want to be known as the kind of person who would need to get help. And really, we we shouldn't think that way because all of us uh, are fallen, are broken, have needs that someone else that God uh, gifts in a certain way can help with. What's great about the model of faithful counseling is that it's completely confidential and it's completely online. And so if, if you're like me and the kind of the stigma of getting up and going and talking to someone is, is a little bit too much of getting in your car and going to an office or a church, you can do this from the privacy of your home. You fill out a, an 
intake process and they match you up with a counselor that's suited to your needs. And if you happen to get a counselor that is just not working for you, you can easily exchange them at no cost. You have access to your counselor through text, through email, and other ways if you have a crisis in between sessions. So I want to encourage you to visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. And you will get a 10% discount off your first month's membership, which is which is a really fantastic deal. So visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome and get a 10% discount off your first membership. I really want to encourage you, uh, if you are listening, feel depressed, you have anxiety, or maybe you have some thorny relational issues in your family or at work or other places to go seek some help with our friends at faithfulcounseling.com slash way home. Tell me about the rock Dwayne Johnson. He appears in your Dwayne book. The rock Johnson. All right. I got, I got a, a cool story about the rock and, you know, people were thinking, I know I've had a few people ask me, what leadership lesson could you possibly learn from Dwayne The Rock Johnson at ESPN? <laughs> uh, and I, I said, that's a very good question. In fact, I wasn't even sure how we were going to find a leadership lesson. I was just trying to find like, who are some of the famous people or, yeah, yeah. or interesting people that I spend time with. But I will say this. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson comes to ESPN. He's promoting his movie Journey to the Mysterious Island. And I don't know if your kids watched it, but my daughter loves that movie. It's a pretty cool movie uh, that Disney, you know, produced back in, I want to say 2012. And uh, I was a huge fan of The Rock, like when he wrestled. So I go back to like 98, 99, 2000, you know, I'm 25, 26 years old and I'm all in on the WWE at that time. And The Rock is just blowing up. So I'm a fan of that Rock. The movies, they're fine. He does some good movies and I like watching them. So he comes and he's got a big stat, you know, like a uh, uh, what we call, I guess, um, uh, an entourage with him of five, six, seven people. You know, there was always these demands with movie stars on on specific types of things or breaks that were worked in. For example, I remember The Rock wanted Fiji water and that was the water he needed. And we only had like Destiny or Nestle or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, no, The Rock needs Fiji water. So the Rock wants to to Fiji Target. water. You get The Rock he gets Fiji, Fiji water. water. Right. Right. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? He's cooking Fiji water <laughs> yeah. and he wanted it. So we had to get the rock Fiji water. And that's fine. I mean, it's not as big of a deal to me because yeah. that's kind of your job is to make those people uh, in the entertainment world, in the sports world comfortable and right. you want them to have the best experience possible. So he comes and uh, he goes through his day of interviews at ESPN. And towards the end of the day, I remembered that my mentor, one of my mentors at ESPN, a guy named Jerry Madelon, um, wanted his son is a huge rock fan and wanted a chance if it was possible for his son to meet the rock. Now we get those requests all the time as talent bookers. At least I did. And I remember uh, thinking, okay, if I say yes to Jerry, then I got to say yes to the other 12 people that want their kid to meet the rock. And usually I'm saying no to these, not out of um, being a jerk or anything, just because if you do it for one, you have to do it for everyone or you have to really be discreet about it. Because you can't, these guys are here to do a job and to promote their shows or promote their movies or whatever. They're not there to like shake hands with everybody and their mom and sign autographs and take pictures. That's just not what they're there for. In fact, I did not take a picture with The Rock when he was there that day. Um, there are pictures of me and The Rock together, but they're candid. It's like 
both of us in the studio when he's talking to one of our sports center hosts, not of me and him with our arms over each other, smiling at the camera. So reluctantly, because this is my mentor, I said, Jerry, if you make it into the sports nation studio at three o'clock, I will do my best to ask the rock. If he will say hello to your son, son's name was Noah. And so he comes, there he is. And I'm like, all right, I knew Jerry was going to show up and there's Noah. And, uh, we had like two minutes and I was like, I didn't even remember if I called him the rock or Mr. Rock or Dwayne. I think I called him Dwayne, but I said, Dwayne, this is, this is Jerry Madelon, one of my mentors. And he's kind of in charge of talent here at ESPN and great guy. And his son Noah's here. He's just a big fan. Wanted to say hello. Well, the rock easily could have put that off and said, listen, I don't have time for this. He didn't. He made Noah's day, month and year all in five minutes, made him feel like a million dollars gave him a big old hug, took a picture with him, signed an autograph for him, which he really isn't supposed to do, you know, if I'm doing my job properly, but he did it. Mm. And I'm like, that is an amazing example of recognizing the moment, using your platform, even just for one person for that day. Cause there were many other people that he could have done that for. And we knew we had business to take care of, but for that moment, at the end of the day, when he's tired and he's done all these interviews, he made Noah uh, you know, Madelon is his last names day, month, and year. And I think he was nine or 10 at the time. And now he's like in college and Noah still says that's like one of the best that's experiences cool. of his life. Yeah. So, what yeah. a cool thing. I want to ask you about a couple of things. You, you've worked around sports basically most of your career. Now, now you're working for a really important ministry called sports spectrum, which by the way, I listened to growing up with Chuck Swirsky, <laughs> Chuck Swirsky. Chuck, Chuck Swirsky. Yeah. And he would interview athletes about the Christian faith. And, you know, as a, as a young Christian kid growing up in Chicago and uh, hearing an athlete that I had admired talking about their faith was really cool and it was helpful for me. And then I, I got the magazine, you know, forever when I was a kid. I love the work that you're doing. And one of the things that you do is you really help uh, athletes. I mean, it, you, you really kind of show the, you know, athletes talking about their Christian faith. It's weird how we view athletes. I mean, it seems like like any celebrity, we kind of view them as a cardboard cutout or, or kind of a one-dimensional thing. But we forget, I think, that they're human beings. And they also have hopes and dreams and longings and you know backgrounds they come from. So talking about their faith kind of humanizes them in, in many ways. What have you learned about talking to athletes about their Christian faith? Well, I think number one, it does humanize them a lot uh, because they're famous and people watch them on TV. And certainly a lot of them make, you know, more money than you and I will ever make in our entire lifetime. But at the same time, they're humans who go through very human, you know, mm -hmm. struggles and issues and temptations and, and all these things that every person goes through. And I think that's the first thing you realize. The second thing is most of these guys are actually pretty good guys. Most of them. And, uh, you know, you're a big sports fan. I'm a big sports fan. I remember when I met Brian Dawkins at ESPN, who I ended up working with. And Brian is a Philadelphia Eagle Hall of Famer. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan since I was, you know, a little kid. So this is the guy that I openly rooted against for 10, 15 years. Suddenly he's a colleague of mine at ESPN. And then you talk to Brian Dawkins and you meet with Brian Dawkins and you hear Brian Dawkins talk about his faith. And this is when I was still at ESPN. I've since recently interviewed him on Sports Spectrum and felt the same uh, connection. 
everything went out the door with me rooting against him. Now, listen, I don't want the Eagles to win when they played the Cowboys. Let's be clear about yeah. that as a let's, sports let's be real. fan. <laughs> let's be honest here. It's like you meeting, you know, yeah. a famous St. Louis Cardinals right. player as a Cubs fan. But I will tell you this. If you met Adam Wainwright, Dan, mm-hmm. and you hung out with him, good things and you about him. him, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. You would you would completely change your mind about him, the person. You might still root against him when he's right. pitching against the. In fact, I hope you do because it's the sports fan in us. Right. But these guys are humans, and when you get to know them on a deeper level, you find out that they are, especially a guy like Wainwright or Brian Dawkins or some others, they are sold out followers of Christ who love Jesus, who love their family, who want to be good husbands and good dads, and just want to be good people and want to use their platform as athletes to be the best example of Christ that they can be. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk to these guys, that's what I discover and gals too. There's plenty of women out there who are living out their faith in the sports arena as followers of Christ. And it's really fun to watch men and women live that faith. And I know when I call them or when they find out what we do at sports spectrum, you know, a lot of them, I haven't gotten too many no's. I've gotten a few, which I'll save it for another day or an off off the yeah. off the air conversation with those no's. But for the most part, people light up and are like, "Yes, yeah." We can talk about Jesus. You're going to ask me about Jesus, and I was like, "Yeah, I want. That's what I want to hear about." And they light up because, like my former employer and many other sports organizations, they're not. It's not what their job is to do is to talk about people's faith. Uh, it's to talk about sports and on you know on the field action. We get to bring Jesus into the conversation and ask them about the very, or I should say, ask them about the most important thing in their life. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty cool. I want to talk to you about that a little bit, because you mentioned about platform. You have a whole chapter on that in your book. And I've, I've actually talked about that in my book as well. You know, yeah. I think there's a lot of interesting conversation about platform and, you know, whether it's good or bad. And you know, my perspective has always been, you know, God allows some people to have a big audience or to, to be celebrities or to, to be well-known because of their gifts. And that's something that, that God, and you know, if that, if that's something that happens to you, don't shrink back from that. Uh, at, at the same time, we also know that it's, it's corrosive to seek fame and seek celebrity and all that. I sometimes think we're too hard on these guys because you know, if you're an athlete who's, you know, you're a phenom, right? You're the best of the best of the best in your, you're in your twenties and you're the, you're in the top, whatever, two, 300 of the best of what you're doing in the world. They didn't ask to be mega celebrities all the time. And yet here they are in the spotlight. They can't go anywhere. It seems like we, we forget that they're human. You know, even a Christian athlete, if, a, if there's an athlete who's a Christian who slips up or gets in trouble, we think, oh, what a phony, what a, forgetting that, you know, all of us slip up, but it's not on the front page. So like, just talk to us about a little bit of how we should treat these folks, not as, not worshiping them, but also maybe cutting them a little slack, huh? Absolutely. Because they're humans. And, you know, a lot of these guys didn't ask for the platforms that they have. And to be honest with you, I mean, I'm on a much, much, much tinier platform, but I didn't ask for like a large platform. Like, you know, I, I wasn't looking to, to, be anybody who would ever be interviewed on a show like this. My, I was just doing my job at, at where I worked. And then suddenly their social media starts to allow people to be interested in what you do. And you gain a little bit of a following. And now all of a sudden 
it turns into whatever it turns into. I think for a lot of athletes and other people, it's the same way. You know, they, you could just look at an athlete who's like a middle of the road dude who, yes, when they're wearing that uniform, kids want their autographs and people put them on a different pedestal, but maybe they don't have a ton of following on social media or whatever, but then the dude hits four or hits 350 and 45 homers and he wins MVP and suddenly, you know, their platform's elevated and we put them on a pedestal and when they fall, I don't usually say if I say when, because everybody falls on some level, whether it's their performance on the field, whether it's something they tweeted about, whether it's just unfortunate things that happen off the field, we try to rip them to shreds. And I think we just have to be very careful at placing athletes on a, on a different level when they're Christians. And I think, unfortunately, the sort of Christian world of covering and, and listen, sports spectrum is kind of guilty of this too. But we place these athletes on a pedestal that is like, oh, wow, you're this you're this super duper athlete who happens to love Jesus. So let's write about it and let's cover it. And we should. And we do it try, to try and point people back to Christ, not to point people to the athlete. But we also hold them to a standard that might be a little higher than we should be holding people to a standard. You know, the cele- sort of celebrity worship that exists in this world. Not just in the in the in the Christian world, there's a celebrity worship that's very real, mm-hmm. with whether it's with pastors, whether it's with the Tim Tebow's of the world, or the Stephen Curry's, or the or the Christian athletes, the Kurt Warner's back in the day. It, they're sort of placed on a different pedestal, and um, it's a dangerous place to be. We should cheer them, and we should, you know, if they're able to kind of share Jesus through the platform that God has given them, we should openly like cheer for that and keep them going, but. If we put them on a pedestal that is so holier than thou or higher than they should be, and then they fall or make a mistake, and we just want to rip them apart, like, what are we doing? I just feel like we missed that on a, on, a, on a big time level. We just have to remember that they're people, and if they love Jesus and they want to talk about Jesus and proclaim Jesus, that's great. But you know, we're seeing it now, Dan, in a culture that's very divided politically or divided from a from a, a lot of different areas, socioeconomic areas or whatever it is that's happening in our country with the pandemic, there's people on both sides who are Christians. And so I know people who are Christians who will look at one guy who I know is a follower of Christ and say, ah, he's not a real follower of Christ because he believes this. And then they'll look at that guy and say, ah, I love him because he loves Jesus, but he also loves this. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, they're just people who are allowed to have opinions and differences and if they follow Christ, like that should be the great uniter. So we just have to be careful about placing athletes on a, on a higher pedestal. Last question I have. I mean, one of the things I like about what you're saying in this book is you've gotten to meet all these people that God has gifted with a big platform who've been able to make a difference, you know, and show leadership, you know, the Tony Dungeons of the world and, and Bob Lee and others, but that you don't, and this is what I think your college, your friend was saying to you when she busted you that you don't have to you don't have to have a big platform to show leadership and to make a difference and to be fit, to do that. In fact, when I actually think about, you know, the church and what God is doing in the church, we get caught up in the celebrity stuff and who's what and what arguments and what conversations and but mostly the church is made up of ordinary people that nobody will ever know around the world, right? I mean, people that don't have podcasts like you do and aren't writing books and aren't they're just regular ordinary faithful people. So maybe speak about that aspect of leadership. I think we think leadership means I've got to have a huge role or title or something. 
No, leadership is not that. That's that's being a boss in some ways if you're the vice president of this or the senior level of this. But that doesn't mean you're a good leader and it's not leadership. That's just title or status uh, or, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or achievement, which there's nothing wrong with those. But like I said earlier about Tammy, like the great leaders are people like Tammy who are in the cafeteria just serving every single day and remembering every person's name that worked at ESPN that would come through that cafeteria. Like that's a great leader. People I work with at my church, um, you know, those are not famous celebrity people. You know, the pastor doesn't have 10 million followers on Twitter, you know, uh, but he is there every single week pouring into this church congregation of 300 people or whatever we are, we are at here in Connecticut and just doing the best that he can with what God has given him. And those are the heroes in my book. You know, those aren't the people that are, are looking for status or looking for, you know, this glory or this, you know, recognition or whatever, or writing tons of books or whatever. And those things are good. If God allows you to, you know, have a platform where you can write books and do podcasts like you and I have, Dan, that's great. But the real heroes, at least for me, are those people behind the scenes that nobody knows about that are grinding every single day. I'm sure you know a lot of them too, who are just there every day, faithful to what God has called them to, like I said, blooming where they're planted and doing the best that they can. And that's why that celebrity worship, that hero worship that we have, we just have to be careful because it's those guys have a lot of influence and girls have a lot of influence as well in reaching a lot of people. But start with the one, right? What did Jesus do? He left the 99 to go for the one. You know, we love that story and there's songs have written about it and everything, but it really is about the one like the one in person that you can impact, the one person that you can influence. Leadership is that. It's influence. Leadership is serving. It's starting where, you know, for most people, it's at their house with their families. But that's where leadership is. It's not about title or status at all. Mm-hmm. I like that. And the fact that I want to emphasize this because doing your job at your job is a way of serving Christ. You know, absolutely. Uh, my dad... I talk about my dad all the time. He's a plumber. He, he was never a pastor or missionary or anything like that. I always felt growing up that maybe he, you know, I think kind of the, a little bit of the culture of the church I grew up in was just, you know, that the real spiritual folks are the ones that are on stage or full-time Christian ministry. But really, that's not the case. I mean, doing your job well, whether you're working at ESPN or you're working behind a counter at a restaurant or you're busting tables or if you're a homeschooling mom and you're taking care of your kids or whatever, delivering mail, you know, that is a form of service to the Lord. And I I love that you really emphasize that. It's important for us to remember that because wherever God has placed you, right, whatever influence you have, maybe you're just simply, you know, I don't know, wherever you are. I don't even want to knock one thing versus the other or wherever you're at, but you can be an, you can have an impact and be excellent at what you do, do the best that you can with the the blessings that God has given you. And sometimes that's a lot, but if you're not, what is it? If you're not faithful with a little, how can you be faithful with a lot? And you have to be, you know, really understanding that, you know, and I remember when I was at ESPN as this, you know, little producer, just trying to figure out where I was, like I had to be great at that job before I could be considered for the next job. And then I realized that in being great for that job, that one little thing that I might be doing every day, that's honoring God. And so we need to be remembering that as we go about every single day, whether it's in our jobs, in our homes, wherever we're going, even just like the grocery store or the gas station, to just remember that we're carrying Christ with us everywhere we go. We need to reflect Christ and and try to remember to reflect Christ everywhere we go. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Jason Romano, thank you so much. I really love the work that you're doing now with Sports Spectrum. Folks, you need to subscribe to this podcast and get his book, The Uniform of Leadership. We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, just a great voice and a great friend. Thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. So good to catch up with you. And uh, by the way, people should, should go listen to Sports Spectrum's podcast with our interview with Dan Darling, yes. who was on our show. So they can hear a little bit more sports on that conversation. All right. Thank you for listening to this edition of the way home podcast with daniel darling for more information you can visit danieldarling.com if you do like this podcast we encourage you to subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast catcher we also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast you can follow me at at dan darling on twitter or go to my facebook page facebook.com daniel m darling I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to the Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.